I love this music, man. This music is badass. It's guitar music, but it's so thoughtfully arranged. And it's really compositional. And there's so much space in it. Such awesome layers. This is the music of Pliny, badass guitarist composer from Australia, P-L-I-N-I. That's a nickname that got out of control. What I'm saying is it stuck. His mom gave him that nickname when he was quite young. And now that's how the world knows him. Pliny's kind of an overachiever, but you're about to hear him try to make the case that he's lazy, but I'm not really buying it, but I'll let you decide. This interview was done just like a day before the NAMM show in January, here in uh, late January 2017. And the kid already has, I'm calling him a kid, Pliny already has a master's degree in architecture and he's been touring the world on a triple bill with animals as leaders and intervals. Also playing a set with intervals each night, so kind of doing double duty. I don't think, I don't think he's lazy. He's got three EPs out, beautiful music. He's just 24 years young. Now I gotta give props to Andy Alt, my buddy, who's also a badass guitar player and also of note, he uh, works for Steve Vai a lot, does a lot of technology, social media, website, all that stuff that I don't really understand that well, but Andy's smart with it. In fact, Andy is so smart, he created a really cool contribution to guitar technology. It's a product Sorry, you just had to hear that part. It's a product that you can get. It's a humbucker, but it's a magical humbucker called A Little Thunder. You can check it out at alittlethunder.com. You kind of got to experience it, but it's a normal humbucker, but then you hit the little button and it does magical things to the lower strings. Drops them an octave, or you hit it again, drops the two low strings a double octave. So you play these chords with the fattest bass tone underneath. You'll hear that I'm playing a guitar that has that pickup installed. I don't think I ever turned it off. <laughs> I kind of abuse it because I just love the sound so much. And you know, the a Little Thunder pickup does a lot of other stuff too. You can set it to so there's set it so there's like low note priority. So whatever the lowest note in your chord is, it drops that an octave. So in case you only want one string to drop. It's just so satisfying because I love the big, mean, the big, mean, nasty sound of an octavized string, but I don't necessarily want all six strings to be down an octave or whatever. I recommend it. Check it out, alittlethunder.com. And Andy's going to give you $35 off if you enter the coupon code NGIS, as in no guitar is safe, NGIS. 
saves you some bucks. Really cool product. And so, yes, Andy is responsible for this interview happening, which I really enjoy. He called me up one morning. And he's like, hey, Pliny's in town. Maybe we can do that podcast today. 90 minutes later, we're there. I had listened to his music before. I went on an amazing hike in a Runyon Canyon, and I always have something in my ears. And I know the secret trails, you know, that don't have 10 million people on them back there. And I'm up there listening to this stuff, and it's just hypnotizing me. Anyway, yeah, fast forward a month or two later, all of a sudden, Andy's like, Plenty's in town for Nam. Maybe we can do it today. 90 minutes later, I'm pulling up to this cool, like, modern backyard, an Airbnb that Plenty has in Hollywood. And that's where we hang out. Andy's there, like, super, he's quiet as a church mouse through most of the interview, but we get him to contribute. And he makes some great contributions, and he's also. As you'll see later on the Facebook page at some point, or on my YouTube channel, I'll get some videos up there. Because Andy is really good with the cameras and he's taking shots and uh, doing some video stuff during the interview. But we have a great hang, really enjoyed it really inspiring. Pliny's totally, you know, he'll call himself a millennial, but he's, I, I just think of him as new school. He's really using all the digital stuff and the plugs and the axe effects, and he's making it sound really warm and fat and huge and good. I like it. For this interview, we have like two or three little rolling cubes, so maybe two cubes. I think I got one half of the pickup from a little thunder that's going into one little cube, and then like the high strings on my guitar are going into this other little rolling thing. Like these are tiny little coffee table things. But you know, we make it work. We get some cool jams, and we listen to a lot of Pliny's music. Really hope you enjoy it. And other news, uh, thank you guys for uh, some of you took advantage of the Guitar Player Magazine subscription offer. Hope you enjoy my Metallica cover story, which is probably in your mailbox right now. And what else? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm on tour, you know, mostly weekends. Chicago, Cubby Bear, Jefferson Starship on Saturday night, March 4th. Love that place. Cubby Bear right across from Wrigley Field. And Pliny is on tour as well. I think he's on in Australia right now. And then he'll be in the UK, maybe Europe as well, coming up in March. Check out Pliny.co. It's P-L-I-N-I. Co. He's got a great site. Check him out. And of course, download some of his music. Love this guy. My name is Jude Gold. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Guitar Player, guitarplayer.com for helping me do this podcast. And thank you, Zoom, for the recorder that I used to make this happen. If you like the podcast, please write a nice review. 
on iTunes. I'm told it helps us. Thanks for everyone who's been helping this podcast grow and grow. So we're going to take the chopper over to Hollywood, East Hollywood, I guess. And we're going to land that sucker in the middle of the street and rock out with Pliny, another guy who I'm sure, like you, is going to keep it alive till he's 95. But before we do, I just got to hear the end of this tune. I love it so much. so addicted to the sound whenever I pick one up. like two pounds how much how much does yours weigh over there uh slightly more because it's got the incredibly heavy tremolo system yeah but not really is that your new signature strandberg it is it's a secret but it's not really a secret so this is the second iteration this time it has australian blackwood top which is pretty cool i think i'm the only strandberg with an australian flavor uh, which is i guess pretty fitting um, there's a new tremolo system which is like super pretty, like it does. You get the the gurgle, all the gurgles that you could ever dream of. Um, I got Sir pickups, which I really like, which That's is great. kind of a long funny story if you're interested. Yeah, sure. Um, basically, I know very little about gear, which might make this a quick podcast. <laughs> um, but I so when I was here about a year ago for Nam. I uh, went to a guy called Ed's place and he runs Strandberg USA. Um, so I was playing around a bunch of guitars that he had and he had one that he'd put uh, pickups in. And this was my first time playing through like a professional amp as well. Uh, I was like a Friedman BE and a bunch of expensive pedals. And I was like, holy shit, this is the best guitar I've ever played. So I was comparing it to mine at the time and I realized the Sir pickups were like just way, way clearer. So I did nothing about it. And then 
on the last tour I was on, uh, Aaron from Intervals bought a Sir, uh, like towards the end of the tour, he just did it because he wanted to. And we spent a day like nerding out and comparing all the clean turns of everything. And that killed everyone's guitar. We just like, what is this demon magic <laughs> clean tone? So yes. then I was like, yeah, I think I want to put Sir pickups in my next guitar. And here it is. Badass, yeah, pickups, pickups are, they do make a difference, huh? Yeah. So wait, when when did you really start messing around with real, quote unquote, real amplifiers and real gear? Like you're trying to tell me it's just been very recently? You yeah. little punk. <laughs> or even pretty much, or not even yet. Like yesterday, um, we went to Mesa Boogie. Mesa Boogie, Mesa Boogie. See, there you go. I can't even pronounce it right, maybe. You did um, And I played a something or other, Mark v mark 525 and it sounded ridiculous and that was probably the third amp i've ever played ever yeah really so when this is i mean this is fascinating to me because i really can't think of a better representative of the uh logic millennial. generation yeah of recording a millennials whatever but to narrow it down to music terms yeah the in the box totally. guitar producer you are the guy and uh I've really I don't know loved if that's a compliment music. or an insult, but I'll take it. <laughs> no, it's definitely a compliment because you, your groove sounds so fat and, and warm and dimensional. And I'm really curious as how you create them, how you orchestrate them, how you mix and produce them. And maybe before we even go any further, let's listen to maybe Handmade Cities. Sure. I love this song. There's so much to it. All righty. This is the title track. Is this your latest EP or your latest album? Uh, it's technically an album, even though it's short. But I guess the Beatles albums were short. Not that I'm saying I'm the Beatles, but <laughs> I can get away with it because they could. There's just so much to this song. Did you mix this all yourself or? Um, not really. So I recorded almost all of it in my studio, which is a desk next to my bed. Um, but the bass was recorded at Simon's studio. He's the bass player. And we went to Troy, who played drums, his teaching studio. So it's not really a recording studio. It's where he teaches. But we went there. Simon, who's a really good engineer, mic'd up the drums, did all that and mixed it and then fed me a stereo track for that. And I feel like that really helped because my drum mixing is not the best. So that kind of 
that gave it a good start to mix. But yeah, I guess I did most of it. That's a great foundation. So what do you give? What's your drummer's name again? I'm sorry. Troy Wright. Troy. So you give Simon and Troy like a demo with a click. Yeah. And then they put down their parts in Troy's room. Yep. Simon is mixing Troy, or I'm sorry, recording Troy and giving you the basic yeah. foundation. So now you've got this fat bedrock, and then you got it back in your bedroom studio, which consists of... Uh, an AxeFX, an iMac, and two audio engine, I think they're A2 speakers. Uh, if you read, like, Macworld 2003, they're, like, speaker of the year. They're, like, consumer Whoa. audio speakers they're like this big i guess this big doesn't mean much in a podcast but basically i didn't do much with my hands just then (laughs) they're not even monitors yeah that looks like the size of like you know toaster or something or smaller even i think both of them next to each other would be toaster size right so and you're so used to these speakers that you've you've learned how to get your tongue because it's obviously very warm sounding and what's your sort of uh digital input your digital audio workstation like uh, uh actually the AxeFX 2 is its own interface so that okay. can go USB out straight into Logic uh but I have a uh, Focusrite Scarlet I think it's an 18i20 and I've used about one channel of it ever just to record acoustic guitar but it seems to do a good job and then are you uh I think you're running Logic maybe yep now where are you getting all these amp tones on on your um, stuff the first couple of EPs I did, I was using a free amp simulator called Lapu Legion, L-E-P-O-U. Um, pretty sure their website is like lapu.blogspot.com. Um, so I was using that. I was using a cab impulse that a friend sent me that he made um, and Guitar Rig 4 for the like delays and effects. And Guitar Rig has great tones in it itself, but yeah. you weren't really using those. You were more using... Yeah, I found this one amp sim seemed to do a better job of like high gain compared to whatever was in the Guitar Rig version at the time. But I think they're up to like six now, so it's probably even better. Well, let's hear um, a little bit maybe of the Lepu in action. What's a good song that maybe you think demonstrates that tone? Um, probably Sweet Nothings. cities you must have like it seems like 12 different tones throughout the song but i was going to maybe ask you about somewhere in the intro you have like it's almost like a funky distorted guitar a little well right (laughs) what that's how you do that 
That's actually a synthesizer, and the original idea was for it to be a ridiculous, like, modulated LFO type just bass thing. Um, and that's always super sick when we play it live because no one's doing anything except Troy's playing a really simple groove and Simon's just playing that bass line. Except we run all the synths in the track, but the intention is that it would be some crazy bass tone. It's just that he's never had the time to actually make it. Um, but everyone thinks that he's doing it and they go crazy, which is nice. And I guess I just ruined it. Yeah, we, we're the, here. We're Mythbusters right yeah. here. Yeah. So... No, that's incredible. You just did like a hundred shows with animals as leaders. Yep. Animals as leaders. And some would say 200 because you were with intervals, I guess, on the same. Yeah, it was a lot. Same bill. Um, I know you're headed down to NAM. Yep. Which is like probably my 20th NAM show. And you had the, you were nice to remind me that you would have been four years old if you had started yeah. 20 years ago. You're violently young. <laughs> violently obnoxiously young no i'm just kidding but no really what i'm saying is is you've accomplished so much already when did you even take an interest in music and what got your got you going and what what was the first moment where you're like this music shit is cool um probably the beatles i come from a pretty musically interested household um i think my mom would play beatles all the time really got into it i wanted to be ringo so I used to like set up pots and pans and hit them. And I used to just generally hit things, not people, but just objects in a right. way that seemed to me like I was making drums. And then I think by being really annoying, I eventually got a drum set. Um, so How I played, old were you then? I think six or seven. Six-year-old drummer. Right on. I started out uh, with a borrowed snare and a hi-hat and that was it. But I eventually got the rest. Um, but then I think I got too big to play quietly and then we had to get rid of them because no one wants to hear a nine-year-old drummer. Were you in a house in Sydney? What was your home life like? What do your parents yeah, do professionally? Or? Um, so my dad is a jazz bass player, but he mostly teaches and is an academic currently. And my mom is a high school teacher. But my dad would always refuse to teach me anything, and it was probably my mom that exposed me to the most music. Why would your dad refuse when he um, wanted you to learn on your own? Because I would, probably because to him there were stupid questions. Like, I'd be like, hey, teach me jazz. And he'd be like, what do you mean? Like, I can't just teach jazz. Uh, but he always said, like, just listen to something you like and figure out what it's doing. And I think that's more helpful advice than if he taught me, like... Because right. then I, I wouldn't really understand jazz. And I don't understand jazz, but I don't think it would have necessarily helped. Um, plus, it may have kind of hindered my interest in music if my parents were kind of pushing me into it. Right. Maybe he was teaching you how to ask, you know, smart questions or yeah. pointed questions that actually have a, have a really achievable result. Yeah. So... When did, what made you suddenly pick up guitar? Was there a certain moment or? Um, so the drums disappeared. And I think that also happened because I was playing them less and less. Uh, we had a ukulele that I used to play and I broke it. Um, so I had the choice of Intentionally? Either, I think out of passion for music. Oh, okay. So you didn't just sit on it accidentally. No, I There's played it. There's a story it, here. I played it with just too much 10-year-old ukulele passion 
and it disintegrated in my hands on a particularly emotive chord. Wow. It's actually very possible I sat on it or dropped it. And then, right. But then, so I had the option to get a new ukulele or maybe upgrade. Oh, this is going to offend ukulele players, but I would say upgrade to a guitar. So I got a three-quarter scale nylon string, and then I learnt like an open C major scale on it. I learned a bunch of Green Day songs, Blink-182 songs, um, Wonderwall, and then I think... When I was around 11, I got my first electric guitar, which was a thing that looked like a Strat and probably cost like a hundred bucks, and I, like most people start off with. Uh, played that for, I want to say, five years. And when I was 15, because I was still playing really often, I figured I deserved something more serious, and I got an Ibanez S. And that's when I was starting to get into like Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, Dream Theater, stuff like that. And then I guess I expanded into the world of metal, like Lamb of God and Trivium and sort of that kind of, all this stuff, basically anything that would be in Guitar World magazine was what I liked. Or Guitar Player magazine. Yeah. That's kind of like- We're the um, same company. It's all all good. Really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guitar Player and it's New Bay Media, so Ah. they're not the same, but we're under the same roof. They'll, Yeah. So that's cool. They'll kill you with the same flavor. Yes. A similar flavor. Did you have any breakthroughs when you were a young teenage guitar player that where you remember? Um, yeah, I remember. So I had, I kind of started a band uh, with some friends. We didn't really do anything but just play songs. But I remember a friend came over to my place and we were playing guitar and he showed me how to tap. And that was probably like... But it would have it would have been more like right. It would have sounded something like that. But That's that cool like too. that blew my mind. You know, it blew my mind too. But we, we I had literally had a teacher. This would have been nineteen eighty something, and there was no YouTube, obviously. And my teacher was trying to figure out how Eddie Van Halen did that, and he trying all different ways, and came back a week later. He's like, it took him a week to figure out. Damn. Probably had to ask a bunch of friends. And now it's pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's funny. Some guy that you know can just tell you or send you like 800 how to tap YouTube videos. But I was there. I had that moment too where. Yeah. You know. So you're an index finger like, tapper? Oh, no. I, well, if I'm holding the pick, I usually use the middle finger. What right. about you? Yeah, middle finger. Yeah. But I see some people like. Whatever works, you know. There's some, there's. You know, I do a little teaching too. One thing I never teach is tell people how to hold the pick i really think that's kind of a personal thing whatever works for you or when you know that's your sound you know yeah i've seen people i've seen people's playing get messed up when a teacher tried to redo how they yeah change their whole picking yeah i mean i assume maybe in some extreme cases it's yeah i mean if you're doing like if you're trying to play like that (laughs) or something yeah between your pinky and third finger yeah i mean that might be like the beginning of a whole new style of yeah reverse finger picking so yeah, let's let's jam a little something. Just just play a little. What do you feel like today? You're here in LA. You just woke up at the crack of noon. The crack of noon. <laughs> now, do you play these uh, little thunder pickups from our good friend Andy? Much I love these. Every time I get on a guitar with this, I can't stop. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, the first time I properly played it, 
and then I turned it off. I was just disappointed in the guitar as an instrument. Like after like, it went off? Oh, <laughs> that's all you get? Like, no, to put it back. Exactly. You get so used to it. It's like when, yeah, it's so disappointing and it ends, huh? It's like getting yeah. out of a hot shower into a cold. Like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Bring exactly. back. Exactly. The- and then you try and like close the door to get the steam to stay there. But I'm the only one holding one right now, huh? You're, you're that I've current got signature. I've regular old. Because this guitar is sort of built for me to be within a band with a bassist. Which is, that pickup's good for people that don't know bassists. Right. Or don't want to know bass players. <laughs> right. No need for bass players. Do you want to start off a groove or something? Or Maybe I'll play a little bit of this. I'm kind of improvising here too, so anything that you want to, yeah, just gonna get your life story. Listen to more of these tracks, and I'm trying to wake up my musical brain. Give me a key. Um, A minor. Oh, I like that drop. We're obviously in E flat, so that's a drop D flat. Sounds great. It's funny, but I think I can hear you listening, which I really like. You can hear me? Yeah. I, I got loud. You're, you're a listener. 
you're you're listening to the I, I, you can tell in your music there's so much space like you you use space just as much as you use the big huge sounds and the little shimmering sounds i think because ultimately i'm a really lazy person and space is the easiest way to make music without doing anything awesome for the win I does like that sound that. deep or <laughs> shallow well let's let the listener it's decide. all in the delivery let's listen to some more of this uh this uh song title track handmade cities That's one of your Strandbergs? Yep. And what are you using on this album for the tone? Uh, that's an Axe FX 2. The, most of the rhythm and lead stuff is some sort of Marshall thing. I think it's a JCM 800. Yeah. Andy, who you can't see because it's a podcast, was just going 43 <laughs> because it's based on preset number 43 in oh, the Axe Oh, that what that was? I yeah. thought that was the metal horns. Andy's being so polite, but you know, you can chime in too, man. It's funny because... Um, Make a sound. Prove you're here. They paid me to say this. <laughs> Buy a little thunder. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this guy, Andy, I guess I got to backtrack a little bit more. So, I studied architecture um, at university. I've learned since being in America to say university because we just call it uni, but I confuse the shit out of everyone by being Australian, so I'm going to try and... They think you're mispronouncing that one sushi item? Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> um, so I was doing a 24-hour design competition, and it was like 5 a.m. towards the end of the thing, because I think the submission was at 9, and I got this email from... Uh, I think it must have been... Actually, I'm not going to say it, because then people can spam him, but it was basically... Within the signature was the fact that he works with Steve I, and it was this message being like, hey, man, really like your music. I showed it to my boss. Here's what he thought. And then, so I, this is like 5 a.m. me, no sleep, in the middle of doing all this crazy bullshit, getting an email like that, and I was just like, what? So then I think the next day I probably replied when I had gathered my life back together when you finished your project yeah which we actually won which was cool and then i went on to never do architecture again shit happens so that's how you got in contact with mr alt yeah and then we started we became pen pals pretty much and then eventually i came to my first nam and pretty much just met a guy from the internet and it was like i'd known him forever and i feel like i was going somewhere with this Oh, so one of the many things we discovered that we have in common is a passion for preset 43 on the Axe FX. Because it's the, it's like the ultimate gainy tone. It really cuts through the mix. Yeah. I'm saying how much I like that preset on the Axe FX, which, to tie in that story, was actually Steve Vai's B Axe FX that he had on tour. They gave me it because it was a backup or whatever, and they gave Steve new ones. So I like played with this thing and I was like, wow, this is a really cool piece of equipment. And then I got to this one patch and I just couldn't put the thing away. So when he came to visit, I was like, yeah, I'm all about this patch 43. And he's like, get out. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we both have short hair and, and kind of look a little similar. Yeah. So the fact that we both play patch 43, I think yeah. it makes us actual brothers. We did a face yeah. swap and nothing happened. Whoa. My girlfriend said that I looked a lot nicer and more Yeah. When the face swap happened. <laughs> this one, this one must have been last month when I was playing in LA. I had a day off, so I stayed with him. 
um, we woke up, we went to go like get coffee or something, and then we were wearing exactly the same thing. And it was Eerie. like, one of us is changing. I don't have clothes, so you're changing. One of you guys, I think, created the other. You're like a cyborg I or am, some kind of replicant. I am the little thunder. <laughs> <laughs> the pickup is just a spiritual entrapment of me. I see. I'm buying it. For, for two forty nine. Yeah. Is it? We are offering a discount for NAM, so technically it's a little less right now, but right. yeah, that's what we're saying. Discounted entrapment of my cell. Thank you for mentioning that. And I think yeah. a little thunder is the second best thing you can buy after my signature guitar when it comes out. Right. Strandbergguitars.com. Wow. <laughs> I do love these guitars. Now, most people, if you haven't tried them, they look like an amoeba with a headless neck on them. They are so comfortable. Yeah. I mean, ergonomically... It's ergonomically, it's yeah, it's like I like I was saying, I'm a lazy person, and I think this is the only guitar you can successfully sort of be in bed with, and just it's still yeah. in a playable position. And the neck, the neck, if you've never played one, is a like patented sort of trapezoidal, but not really thing that um, yeah. supports your thumb like always. Oh yeah, it's like uh, it's almost like a v-, v neck, but it's chiseled more. It's like diamond cut. It's got yeah. You could say either three sides on the back of the neck, or almost four sides if you talk talk about the edges. I mean, five sides. Yeah. Trapezoidal, trapezoidal, like you said. And just like you just demonstrated, these guitars have two positions. You can have it the neck. You can lean it on your leg, either with the neck exactly. pointing up, kind of towards the ceiling, or flat, whatever. It's, or yeah. it works on either leg. Or <laughs> you want to hold a classical position. I know these are really hot hot property too they're hard to get i know they've been backordered on a lot of different models i hope that there's that way with yours when it comes out as well thank you for your sake not for the people trying to get it yeah (laughs) um yeah i was just checking i spent the last week sort of with ola strandberg who started the company um helping do some promo stuff and i saw all the new guitars and it's kind of ridiculous because like for the last i don't know two years maybe the main production line which you're playing one of was only available in like red black and natural and so like i personally think it's the best design of a guitar ever but now they're doing all these crazy beautiful finishes as well so it's kind of like when ferraris came out they just came unpainted but now you can also get them in any color you want and now everyone is probably going to want one and then of course they've got the i would describe it as a a light fanning of the frets. I've yeah. definitely seen more extreme fans. This seems like the perfect amount of fanning if you're not wanting to go crazy with a really like a 28-inch low string or yeah. something. Uh, totally. I think the six string is 25 to 25 and a half. It gets a little bit wilder on the seven and eight strings, but I think it's still super comfortable and just a way that it will improve intonation but not look like it's a fan. Right, and it keeps that string tension going, I guess, yeah. too. So, now you were in high school, probably playing a lot of music, I suppose. Yep. And were you a, like, "This is it. Music is my passion, and I'm doing this." But then, what's up with architecture? And how many years did you study that at uni? Hey, there it is. G'day, <laughs> mate. <laughs> I love, man. Australia is the one country I just really want to go visit. You should. You guys seem like cool chaps. You could do a no guitar is safe down under 
edition. There are a lot of good Australian guitarists that I'm sure you can discover and podcast with. I'm sure, man. And one thing I learned early on is there's a great guitar player within a block of you, wherever you are, probably on planet Earth. Yeah. They're everywhere. Truly great musicians. Um, where were we? So you High for how many years did you study architecture? Um, I did a full five years. So I've got a master's degree, um, which I may or may not ever use. But I guess I was fun and I learned a lot. Um, now, why did you study that? Was it just you felt like you needed to go through university and pay your dues, or is it were you passionate at the time, or fallback? Um, what's, what's the reasoning? I kind of didn't really want to study music because everything I enjoyed was what I was doing for myself, like just writing music and playing guitar. Like I did, I followed music in high school to the end so I did like performance exams and that sort of thing but not in a way that I felt this is something I want to do like go and do the extended version of this for another three years like learn a bunch of songs for the purpose of performing them for an exam and then when that finishes what am I going to do like am I going to end up teaching or so I didn't want to kind of spoil how much I liked making music by forcing myself into making it work um, my sister was studying architecture. She's four years older than me. Uh, so I was like, fuck it, I'll just do that. It looks cool. And it turns out I really enjoyed it. And I'm still pretty passionate about architecture, which is kind of why I chose to be here. Um, right. But then, so I was writing and recording music the whole way through the degree and releasing it. And then I guess the listenership was slowly building up. So when I finished... I did sort of the same thing and was like, yeah, I've worked in architecture and it was fun, but I don't really want to go get a full-time job now. So Were your parents like, you got to go to college and then you can do what you want? Or, I mean, obviously you can make your own decisions at that age, but was there pressure to do university? Or Not in the same way that I think you might hear about some people who like sort of get forced into doing something they don't want to do. Um, I don't know whether it's because I'm like that or because they sort of projected it into me but I feel like I'm a fairly responsible person so I guess I just felt like I should go study something which I really enjoyed um so that I would be in a good position sort of no matter how my life turns out so I finished the degree and figured why not take some time off and finally play a show because at that point I just released the last of three EPs and I actually had enough music to make up a set list so that's sort of where it all started. And now, of that musical study that you did, say, in high school, yep. was there anything valuable that you did really take from it? Like, what was what stands out to you? Like, understanding of harmony or anything? So in Music. high school, there were two streams you could do. There was, like, the contemporary music one or the classical one. And I think I was the first person to do the contemporary stream for a few years. So I had to convince the principal or headmaster, whatever you call it, that I wouldn't sort of fuck up the school by being the only guy to do it. Um, and I think that was kind of fun because I was, I was a class of one, which meant I just basically studied the music I wanted to study. Um, I still learned everything I needed to learn, which was helpful because I, that's where I got sort of basic knowledge of modes and sort of a little bit of ear training and that sort of thing. Cool, man. Well, uh, and the, I think the uh, parallels between like really layered music and architecture are pretty obvious and it's no surprise to me that musicians are often said to have especially composers to have commonality between that or mathematics you know a yeah. lot of people compare the 
math and music as the two universal languages that we can communicate with each other no matter what country we're from we're from or what language we speak and i certainly hear that in your music and like handmade cities let's keep listening to this there's there's so many layers i wanted to hear maybe the end of the song i think it was sure is just moshing and passionate it sounds like Coldplay mixed with I don't know what I like that it's, it's got that huge thing and I'm a you know you know that's kind of there's like some throbbing eighth notes underneath and then yeah. like the what's going on there um so there's the main chord thing So you do play a lot in the drop D. Yeah. Cool. Um, I guess also out of laziness, especially with the trem system, I sort of ended up there and then just stayed there. But I like <laughs> that you can get sort of thick, disgusting chords like that with minimal yeah. effort. Right, right. And sort of like the easy minus seven shape. Um, so yeah, so that section is that plus a really cheap fake sweet picking thing. That's interesting. Can you do that slowly? Is that three notes or is yeah, that? Yeah, so it's just just yeah. octaves, but I guess with the muting in between, it's sort right. of a fake. So your 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 low octave is on the fifth string. Your next octave would be on the fourth string, right? And so it's the, every second string, yeah. Yeah, and then the high one on the high string. But you get the because you're muting the strings in between that aren't used. Yeah. Wow, that's really effective the way you stack those two parts on there. Yeah, there's, I think, and then there's a third guitar which is doing something like. Yeah. I guess and that's that, kind of chopsticks. <laughs> and that huge distortion, is that patch 43 again? Or that almost sounds a little more, uh, I don't know. The So the main, this part, yeah, uh, would be a patch 43. But I'll, I guess for my own um, credibility, I have tweaked it a little bit. I think I'd probably added mids. Um, Do you record these, these parts dry? Because you're really great with effects, like reverbs and yeah, delays. Yeah, I do almost all the reverb and delay afterwards um that's the secret of a good mix yeah there's a there's a delay plug-in called echo boy by sound toys which is probably my favorite that thing does just a shitload of different delays um i was about to say something which i felt oh, was important i'm sorry probably it's all right it probably wasn't important we were talking about the 
patch 43 and you tweaked yeah. it with some mid and you added some eq to yeah, it yeah so that's the man that's a pretty sort of standard just heavy gainy patch mm. but then this one was actually it's quite similar to this tone right now it's just a little bit crunchy Uh, and I guess, I don't know, you will probably disagree, but to me, that's kind of like a classic rock kind of breakup tone. I agree. Because, sure. um, I mean, I was, I'm a post-classic rock person, but I really dig those kinds of tones, so I try and blend them in. And I think I use that tone a lot in that song, like the beginning... <laughs> High chords to a low, yeah, a little low note on the bottom because a little help from the drop tuning, yeah, very cool. And then, I love that those little high chords in there, like with a little in the background oh, so beautiful this is there's a part there which is an artifact of laziness as well um so there's a weird thing with some plugins where because there's a tempo change in this song the plugin is registering the tempo change which means the delay is sort of doing like a wind up thing right and i accidentally left that in i kind of like it because it's a little bit analog sounding yeah, it's actually truly modeling the real world if you had yeah, sped up a motor or something. A, I wonder if that would work. If I was going up 20 BPM with like an analog tape delay while someone else was playing, just turn the knob. I guess that's what it would do. It would do that weird like warbling thing. It does all, yeah. Well, you know, do all kinds of weird stuff if you get... One going up and one going down slightly. I guess that's coursing, right? Yeah. Was that your first gig that you mentioned after right around the end of college? That was kind of like your first real show? or Yeah, so I finished well, I finished in the end of 2014. And then my first show was in May 2015. So at this point, I'd sort of befriended a lot of musicians in Sydney just from liking their bands and stuff like that. So I kind of knew who I'd want to play with, and that was Jake and Simon, who were in a band called the Helix Nebula, who were ridiculous sort of technical shred magic. Um, so they're guitarist and bassist. And then Troy is sort of like the most popular drummer of YouTube, uh, who's Australian. So I just thought, I want to just make a band that's really sick. Again, out of laziness, because I feel like that gives me less to do if I've got a band that's amazing. And I definitely do that. I give them all the hard parts and I just play the sort of nice delay melodies, um, which is fun. Dude, you're like an Australian Tom Sawyer. <laughs> um, I love it. So I got in touch with Troy over the internet. I think I originally, my icebreaker was trying to buy his iPhone that he was selling on Facebook, which I didn't end up doing, but I got him as a drummer instead. So it's kind of like worked out. Um, and yeah, the first show I was supporting a band called Glass Ocean, who are another awesome Australian band. Uh, that went really well. 
and a friend of a friend decided to book me an Australian tour. So that was your first show. What did, I mean, we all learn a lot from our first show. What did you walk yeah. away from after doing stepping out on stage for the first time and presenting your music to people? I was actually insanely surprised because this was my first also like proper band experience, like playing with other human beings, playing original music. I was surprised how easy it was and how much it sounded like the actual music we were playing. I'm going to kill you. Just kidding. Yeah. Not really. Because no, seriously, I expected like my cons- like preconceived idea of what a band would be is you get together and it all sounds like shit. No one really knows what they're doing. Sort of, there's no separation between the parts and it's just a mess yeah. with mostly crash cymbal. But so we got together for the first full jam and I was like, I can hear me and I don't sound that bad and I can hear everything else and they're like really good. So it was, it was very positive. Um, so that first show went really well. Awesome. Let's hear another track. I love this crazy intro on this tune right here. What ins- what inspired this? So you know, it's got a little 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 glitchy in there and. Yeah, um, I've always liked weird sounds. I can't actually remember how that happened. It's in a weird acoustic tuning. Uh, it's some sort of open major chord, I think. I also don't remember because ever since I've been playing it live just in this. You adapted it to your current. Yeah, but I think the original, the tuning would have been this as an open tuning, so. That's pretty. Which is, I mean, again, great because I can do it with one hand in an open tuning, which means I can be like on Facebook or something. The art of laziness. You are the man. You're a black belt in laziness. I think if there is one thing behind my musical decision making, it is getting the most out of the least effort. What are some other ways you've done that? Does anything pop into your head? Uh, Delay and reverb. Like, just you just touch the guitar and then let effects do the rest. Yeah, as long as that one note you touched is yeah. working. So that's the thing. That's where I think I don't cop out with laziness is I like to think that I put a lot of effort into that one note, but then let it, like, let the technology take care of it. Let the comet tail kind of light up yeah. the sky behind it. Exactly. I had a question you could ask. Yeah, yeah, what you got, Andy? Well, hey, this is Andy, and uh, I guess... Front row, ladies and gentlemen, you, sir, in the front. <laughs> uh, yes, I came here with my wife. This is our first night out in seven years, and I took her to a progressive rock show. Progressive rock podcast taping. That's right. And I'm not married, so joke's on me. Anyway. Your, um, wife, your wife is currently asleep right now. That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> one thing that really caught my ear with uh, Plenty's music is not just the the idea that it's architecturally, you know, starts with the foundation and then builds up from there into some kind of amazing structure. But there was a, a theme that I was always enjoying that uh, is a series of notes. Exactly that, right? So that idea, 
permutates its way into several different tracks, but in various different time signatures and different keys and different ways and stuff like that. So I guess my question is, what prompted that? And did it start off as a joke or did it just like wind up being just something awesome that you ran with? Thank you. Uh, was it Randy? Andrew? Professor Gilligan. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I Yeah, I think that... I think Dream Theater were a huge influence on my idea of what, like, prog is. Because I think they've got... Especially between... It must be Metropolis and Octavarium. The end of every album leads into the beginning of the next album, which is kind of like an insane conceptual thing to do over, like, a decade. And then within the albums, they got all these recurring themes and stuff. And being a huge fan, I would, like, go on like a dream theater forum and like just read what people were nerding out about and like they're making all these crazy charts of like here's this theme and then i heard it in that song and then it reappears here and like that's a clip from that and i thought wow you can like make music that you listen to once and it has a great impact and it's got great playing and everything or you and on top of that you can do all these like cheeky intellectual things that give it sort of something you can go back and keep finding more. So I think that was my shallow interpretation of that is like, hey, I'm going to like repeat myself cheekily all the time because that makes me prog. <laughs> now, can you play us that, that little sequence of notes yep. again and then tell us why did you choose these? pretty um prettiness alone or is there a deeper meaning behind those there's definitely no deeper meaning uh i did it once in a song and then i did it a second time and i just kept doing it and then i guess it became catchy to me rather than i didn't really intend to write a recurring melody when i did it it was just kind of there um actually the the first time i played it was in a section that wasn't really memorable. It was kind of a throwaway bridge thing. So it was over these chords. Which song? Uh, it's called Opening. Um, so this of the three EPs, the second one that came out was actually all written and recorded first. Uh, and it was meant to be an album, but... I got four songs in and then sort of ran out of ideas that seemed like they were all part of the same universe. So I put it aside and then one one break from university, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to make music. And so I recorded three songs in about four days and then just released it. And that was my first EP. And that sort of got some interest which was cool and in that first EP which was actually the second thing I wrote I took that melody uh, just in one section of one song and that kind of is where it all started because I thought hey I've already done this and then I finished the second EP and actually I went back and added a lot more stuff to it so most of the guitar was already recorded but I added a lot of layers and ended up repeating a couple of themes on different instruments like piano and orchestra i guess orchestra is not an instrument but to me it is because it's just buttons that you press in a sample library <laughs> um 
So it was kind of an interchangeable mess of just creating it. So then I had two EPs which were kind of written in the wrong order that were related to each other. So I thought I'll just do a trilogy because Star Wars is great. Um, yeah. George so the, Lucas showed the world that we can start out of order. Exactly. Um, so the third, and that's got nothing to do with uh, financial in, uh, incentives. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so the third one was sort of like a massive uh, recurring theme fest because it felt like that would be the appropriate way to send off a trilogy. It's like bring back all the characters and then kill them off together. Cool. I like your thinking. Now, you mentioned that you got the basic foundation of drums and bass sort of pre-mixed. Yep. Are you responsible for mixing the rest of it? I mean, these things sound so dimensional and huge and warm, which is hard to do in a completely digital in the box sort of scenario. Yeah. And you're pulling that off. Did you actually mix everything? Yeah. Um, sounds great, man. I guess through being a fan of music, I spent a lot of time like watching interviews with musicians I like and producers I like and stuff like that. And I've noticed that a lot of the time, there's like one school of mixing, at least in my generation, where people get really in-depth about like boosting certain frequencies. Like, oh, you get a sicker guitar tone if you boost 1.4K. And there was a time when I was like sort of just messing around with mixing when I would try things like that. And I would end up with like 8,000 compressors on a kick drum, like fighting each other, and then seven EQs. And then I realized that again from laziness probably there's a way to capture something that sounds good and then kind of leave it like that and that's how a mix could end up so there's not much actual mixing i mean there's a guitar tone which i shave some frequencies out of um just so it kind of sits better with the bass um but the separation is really great between all the different instruments which is hard to create create sometimes that clarity. yeah i think it is and it isn't like if you think of an orchestra they're not really being mixed. They're just sitting together in a room, kind of leaving each other alone. So I guess that's kind of my, what's the word? MO or? <laughs> yeah, that's like sort of the, there's a, there's a really simple word. Approach. Language. <laughs> Approach. Okay. Good morning, me. Um, <laughs> you know, we got coffee over 10 feet from us if you need to wake oh, up your brain. Um, yeah, it's to sort of just, and I guess at the same time that I'm writing, I'm thinking about adding parts that aren't stepping on other parts. And so a lot of the time that's going to end up in me deleting a whole bunch of shit because I've got like eight guitars playing in the same register and it doesn't really do anything. Well, that's definitely important to have a sense of what to take out and not get married to it. Yeah. And let it go. But, you know, you still do have this incredible separation. Like the lows are so low, but they're still so articulate. And some of that might be mastering. Who who masters your stuff? Um, a guy whose name I'm going to pronounce incorrectly. I believe it's Erman Hamidovic or Hamidovic or Hamidovic or something. Uh, E-R-M-I-N-H-A-M-I-D-O-V-I-C. He's from Melbourne, Australia. Um, I guess he's most known for the Systematic Guide to Mixing, which is a handbook that's sort of popular among people like me who sort of self-taught themselves production. I actually don't have a copy, but I'm sure it's great because he's a really good engineer. Um, 
He mastered the last Devin Townsend album, Periphery, Animals as Leaders, um, Mine, a whole bunch of stuff. Well, it really sounds great. And that, of course, is a perfect tie-in to uh, the next topic, if you will. Tell us about this crazy tour you just did with Tosa Nabasi and the gang and the Animals as Leaders. And you're also playing with Intervals. Yeah, what was so, this road trip like and where'd you go? And I guess the backstory is after my sort of first period of playing a few shows in Australia, I came to Nam. Um, one night I had dinner with Javier from Animals and Aaron from Intervals. Um, this was just after Aaron had invited me to come play with Intervals as well as play my own music on his new album tour, which happened in March, April. Um, and we were talking about how we were doing this band sharing thing with Javier, who thought it was cool. Um, and at that time, they had were in the process of booking a European tour. And so we we're all kind of becoming friends and actually almost missed my connecting flight home because I was on a Skype call to the booking agent, basically working out how quickly I could say yes to doing the European tour. So that was kind of the perfect way for me to get to go to Europe. I mean, three instrumental bands, there were a bunch of festivals, Animals are pretty much the biggest band among sort of the modern instrumental world. Um, so we were sharing a bus, there were 15 of us in a confined space for about seven weeks in the peak of summer through Europe. And by the end of it, we had had basically no problems and just loved every minute. And I think about three quarters of the way through, they finished their album and had a US tour for it, pretty much finished being booked. And it was kind of like, we have to do this again in America. Um, so in November, December, I spent basically doing the same thing, but bigger and better all around America. Is there one highlight that sticks out in your mind for any of those shows? like? Um, I mean, every day was kind of crazy. I think one of the coolest moments, we were in Budapest playing on a boat. Uh, it's a permanent music venue and a restaurant um, sort of docked to the river. And the restaurant's like this crazy modern sort of fusion type, kind of like pretty fancy. And so depending where we were, we'd get catering or we'd get fed or they'd bring us food. But in this case they were just like go to the restaurant and have whatever you want so we're all sitting around a table and i'm like sitting opposite my new friend tosa nabasi is like one of the greatest guitarists and i was just like i'm in hungary right now eating really good food with like people i'm really good friends with who also happen to be some of the world's best musicians all because people think that i write good music and I was like, that's kind of cool. Badass, man. Congratulations. Well-deserved. Now, you've sold a lot of your stuff. Andy was telling me you've moved tens of, tens of records. No, tens, tens of thousands. Tens. <laughs> tens um, of thousands, right? Maybe 40,000 copies or something or downloads or... I'm not sure exactly, but it's definitely blown my mind. Um, and I guess the most insane thing is because I'm completely independent, I actually get a good grasp of what it means to sell a cd like if i sell a cd that's gonna be my lunch for that day or something like that where i guess in a traditional record label deal 
it's sort of like here's some money make a record and then that's it right well have you picked up on any ways obviously the most important thing is to have good music that people want but aside from that have you learned anything about how to get your music out there how to more effectively reach customers that could actually get you some lunch money or rent money whatever Um, that is I think that's the most disappointing answer that I have when I do like a master class or something like that is because there are so many people who are like building a project and they want to know oh what's like what's the one thing I can do to make this work and I think like you said it just writing music that people like which you can't really force I think that's the number one most helpful thing especially with the internet because you can just click through everything and pick what you like and that's kind of it's already there um I guess aside from that sort of the same way that I stole recurring motifs and that sort of like compositional approach from dream theater and things that I liked I guess I've kind of borrowed marketing techniques from bands I like so I'd see like a band would post on Facebook but they wouldn't do it in a way that was boring and just like hey buy our shit right it would be sort of more conversational and they'd try and interact with people so I didn't necessarily do it in a way that was fake like I would pretend to be interested in talking to people but I think I'm naturally pretty open to sort of just meeting new people and that sort of thing so I think rather than taking the whole throw money at advertising um, professional here's my product and I'm going to hide in the corner type thing I was just I did it all in a sort of approachable interactive yeah like hey I made this song what do you think and then chat about a guitar tone or something like that and I think that's a luxury of also not having any sort of middleman it's just like me and a bunch of mp3s and the internet well you do some interesting stuff i mean like this new video you're like cutting a guitar strap in front of me i just watched it basically right. in the car on the way over here not yeah. really um yeah a friend of mine that i studied architecture with uh, i guess similar situation to me he's got a great self-taught passion in fashion design so he's got his own fashion label which is called sean s-h-h-o-r-n Um, and I really like what he does and it was like hey let's collaborate on something I need a guitar strap and originally we wanted to do it out of kangaroo leather just because Australia and it'd be kind of weird but and because fuck kangaroos yeah I'm just kidding I mean they taste great (laughs) they're also adorable it's weird it's weird because uh, I went to a wildlife park and I fed some kangaroos and that was like one of the most heartwarming experiences of my life but at the same time, kangaroo meat is delicious and I would happily get a kangaroo leather strap. But it turns <laughs> out that the hide of a kangaroo is actually not long enough to do a one-piece strap. So we're wow. going to try and work out a way to connect two pieces in a sort of graceful, elegant way. But So that turned into it was just a cow skin. Hmm. Well, it's, it's fascinating. So just, it's just, I mean, that's an interesting decision to make a random video. Yeah. Of a, strap being cut and made and uh, yeah and I guess there's like there's varying levels of what I'm interested in versus what my audience is interested in and there's definitely not gonna be like 100% appreciation of watching someone make a guitar strap but that's one of those things where like I get to do whatever I want so I will I, I'd like it I like it man I mean you could have just been 
walking on the train tracks like 90 million other guitar videos. Yeah, it could be Something in a different. dark warehouse or... Yeah. What's uh, what's it like hanging out with a bunch of... What, how crazy do you prog rock kings get out on the road? I mean, it's um, like... From what I've heard of touring in the 80s or 70s... This blows nothing, it all away. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, unfortunately, nothing like any of that. Um, as far as I know, I don't have illegitimate children all over the world. I would say the last year of touring is probably a lot of the most fun I've ever had in my life. Not necessarily because it was ridiculously crazy all the time, but just because I enjoy traveling and I was with a bunch of people I really like. 15 people on a bus, that's probably a record. Yeah. Um, I guess being prog, we're all sort of fairly responsible and interested in performing well being healthy and sort of like know how to tell time and stuff yeah um i think there's a certain like self-value to keeping the brain in a good condition to have a long career which might uh, take away from touring activities yep and you guys trading licks and stuff or playing on the bus or yeah we would a little bit um especially on the last tour we would do a lot of sort of tone stuff like i was saying with the sir pickups before tosin got this crazy rig which is a morgan clean amp and a whole bunch of pedals so that was he was sort of always tweaking that and then we'd all be floating around plugging guitars into it sort of testing pedals and that sort of thing what were you plugged in for most of these shows um i was using an axe 2 with slightly different tones to what i record with just to sort of cover even less of the spectrum to make it a little clearer um so we were running axe effects into a qsc power amp and omega cabinets i think they were upright 2x12s and then our sound guy was miking them with two mics i think in a pretty conventional way whereas on the european tour that sound guy was taking the direct signal but i guess it was just two different approaches to capturing the same tone. Any uh, insane moments of hilarity on stage at any of these shows, or did everything just go smooth every time, every night? Oh, God. I got a couple of stories, I guess. One of them was in Las Vegas. I don't know what happened, but I started playing, and it was one of those nights where the foldback wasn't the best, so I couldn't really hear what I was doing, but I know the songs well enough that that didn't bother me. Until I realized that I was completely out of tune, and every time I touched the whammy bar, it was getting worse. Um, I think what happened is there was a string loose. And so being a floating bridge, every time that string slipped a little more, it would fuck everything else. Uh, so by halfway through the second song, I was basically just turned to the side, trying to hear the wedge and trying to bend chords into tune with themselves, being like, fuck right. this. Um, and eventually... I sort of just explained what was happening to the crowd and then swapped guitars for a guitar that was in a different tuning and then we played a few songs in the wrong tuning, which meant cutting out all the backing tracks. It was kind of like the punk rock version. So that was a little bit messy, but also kind of fun. Getting some experience there. (laughs) Yeah. We played a festival in the Czech Republic called Brutal Assault and i mean you've heard my music you probably wouldn't place it at a festival called brutal assault um i think i was playing after aborted 
So it was yeah. basically like 90 pretty heavy bands. Uh, and you can make a funny lineup, like aborted into cradle of filth. In, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah, the headliners were like Parkway Drive, Gojira. Uh, it was nice. it was a heavy thing. Um, I was playing at like 1 p.m. We were running late. So I pretty much woke up driving through an old castle on the way to play Brutal Assault Festival with a set list that I'd sort of created to not really oppose, but kind of compliment animals as leaders. So I picked a lot of stuff that was lighter because they were going to sort of come on and be crazy. I figured I could warm the audience up with a little bit of more mellow stuff. So we cut the first song, which was Heart, which is basically the lightest song of all time. Um, but it still wasn't exactly a heavy set. So there's, there's me just woken up, like pulling gear through a castle onto like the largest stage I've ever played. And at that point, I guess it was aborted were playing on the stage next to it. So there was there was no one in front of the half we were setting up. And I was just kind of laughing like, this is probably going to be hilarious. Um, but then they finished. And when we started playing, there was I couldn't even see the ground. It was like the entire place was packed. I even got a circle pit at one point during a clean breakdown with no drums so it was which part this was section of paper moon that's just oh yeah i could mosh to that yeah so i was playing that and because it's got a, it's a lot slower than that it's got a lot of delay as a joke i just kind of did this to the audience you sort of incited them to keep swirling in circle pit. Yeah, I was kind of like, give me a circle pit. Um, and then I turned away and I was just kind of playing and just like looking at my drama. And he started going, dude, like, look. And when I turned around, there was a giant circle pit of like all these dudes in black t-shirts doing like pirouettes and slow dancing with each other. That's awesome. So you created that just with that hand gesture, basically. Yeah. So that was, cool. <laughs> that was kind of incredible that the audience was that receptive to something completely different to most of, I guess, what the festival was about. Now, I don't know if you're on any intervals recordings or not, but what, what was one of your favorite songs to play every night? We play a little sample of that here. So I played one solo on there, I guess his latest album. And that was probably my, my favorite song to play. Just Which song I, is that? That's called Libra. So there's this, That's beautiful. There's a bridge section like that, uh, which builds up into my solo. So you can identify it from that. Uh, and it's got a kind of dumb tapping lick to start. Cool. Yeah.
That was a fun one. Well, man, I really appreciate you uh, meeting today on short notice. Man Pleasure. week, craziness. Anything else that we should cover or any other tune you want to play? What's what, um, your... what am I trying to sell these days? <laughs> Obviously, your website's great, really smart, clean, easy cool. to navigate. Um, yes, one thing which may or may not be relevant at all to the people that follow your podcast is I'm doing a tour with Animals as Leaders in Australia coming up at the end of February. So if you are Australian, you should be there. Um, and after that, I'm going for my first headlining tour in Europe and the UK. I don't know if it's a sensitive thing to separate them because of Brexit. Uh, I don't know. I guess you have your own problems. Oh, yeah. I think it's gonna get, things to about to get out. interesting over here, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so from, from March 15 <laughs> oh, to April 8. <laughs> I'm still wasting your charge here. Anyway, can you play us another sample of one of your uh, your parts that you like? You have so many great parts. I don't even know where to ask, but just right here in front of us, what what are some of your... Yeah, I guess because you were listening to Handmade Cities before, there's a chord that I kind of like, and I was... So that's the... They're the notes, but yeah. something about the... I didn't really like that tone, because like this thing... That's cascading down and then to end on that to open string on, tone is yeah. a little bit too different. So I've been messing away uh, around with ways to play it. Whoa. And I kind of, I like that because I can give you the finger. That's hilarious. You got the, you've got literally got your thumb underneath the neck on like the 10th fret or something. Yeah. Like um, and that's something I stole from a guy called Andre Nieri who... You might see around Nam. He's a crazy fusion guitarist. This is very rude. Tell me that's an F chord. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Get the sounds. Exactly. What song should I play to fade out this interview from? Um. Why don't you guys jam again for a few seconds? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Love to. Anything. All right, well, let's uh, throw me some chords. I have no idea what to play. What are you feeling? What key? Choose a key. You can start if you want. Anything you're feeling. Hey, I started last time. Give us a key, Andy. Uh, F sharp. Thank you. 